Welcome to CYC Podcast Discussions on Child and Youth Care. I'm Wolfgang Vashon. Over the past several years, there's been an increasing discussion about sex trafficking. And this discourse has been necessary to address a very real problem. It has also been weighted with vagueness and at times even overreach. So many of us who've worked with adolescents have worked with young people who have been sexually exploited. We've also worked with young people who have used sex as a means of exchange and possibly even seen it as a form of agency. And sometimes these two things, exploitation and agency, have been conflated in in popular policy and and academic discourse. And that's some of what we're going to talk about today. I'm excited and so grateful to welcome Melissa Tellis, who has just wrapped up a three-year-long, or is in the process of wrapping up, I should say, a three-year-long research project called Supporting Young People, a Response to Commercial Sexual Exploitation of Young People in Ontario. And the report is accompanied by online training specifically designed for child and youth care practitioners and others who work with young people and uh, if you're interested in the link, we'll, we'll have it in the, in the show notes at, at cycpodcast.org. Melissa, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Wolfgang. I'm, I'm so happy to be having this conversation with you today. Thank you very much for inviting me to do this. You are welcome. I've, um, I've been following this research for years, and I've, I've heard you present on it, and, and we've spoken about it. Um, and so maybe we could start by what what was your interest why did you decide to do research on human trafficking this is the official term human trafficking for the purpose of sexual exploitation right um so it's a really interesting question this has been a labor of love for me since the late 90s when um you know we still had the young offenders act as our uh, youth justice law, and I was working in the in <clears throat> excuse me with in the youth justice or at that time young offender system, and it was really interesting to me because what I was noticing is that many of the young people, specifically young women who were incarcerated, were there either because they were engaging in consensual sex work, or uh, they were there because um, they were experiencing exploitation by another party. Uh, and, uh, and, and so that's kind of what, what led me to, to start thinking a little bit about this. And, and what happened is that over the years, Wolfgang, I didn't see much of a shift in how we thought about these young people and how we supported these young people. Uh, and so I was presented with an opportunity to kind of dive a little deeper and, and that's what I tried to do. Let me let me ask you right off the bat then, uh, how, how do you differentiate or, or what is the difference between uh, consensual sex work and exploitation, sexual exploitation or human trafficking? But, you know, that's a, a really, again, another really great question. It's something that's often conflated in uh, in literature, and it's often conflated in practice, and it really did come up a lot, actually, just in literature reviews, in readings, and in the interviews. Um, so, 
I guess how we talk about the difference and how we understand the difference between consensual sex work um, and exploitation is that when a person is uh, choosing or is engaged in sex work, it is their choice. So they have agency, they aren't being manipulated, and they are making a decision to engage in, uh, in work that uses sometimes their body, sometimes their words. Um, but again, the, the, the main thing is that it is something that a person chooses to do without pressure from, um, you know, another party. Oh, sorry. What was the other part of that So question? the other <laughs> half of that, right? So that, that's, that's, that, and, yeah. and so when we're talking about consensual sex work, that could be everything from, you know, camming to stripping to uh, what's sometimes referred to as full service sex work, um, full physical touch, um, yeah, phone sex, you know, it can be any number of those things. So it's a bit of an um, umbrella term. It is very much an umbrella term. And uh, again, so it's, it's, it, uh, and it doesn't always involve the use of, like I think you've said, like the use of a, of a body. Um, sometimes, sometimes, and some practices include um, phone conversations, for example, or, or text conversations. Um, and yes, and it's, you're right, it's very much an umbrella term. And, and so, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, go ahead. <laughs> so the other the other half of the question is so so that's consensual sex work, and I and I want to ask you more about that in a moment. So how would you define uh, human trafficking or 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 um, sexual exploitation, um, commercial sexual exploitation, and what's the difference between the the two? Okay, so if, in terms of human trafficking, um, you know, it's defined it's defined as the recruitment, um, harboring, or transportation. Um, or a direction or, or influence over the movements of a person in order to exploit that person, uh, typically through sexual exploitation uh, and or forced, forced labor. So that's the definition that we use uh, to, to understand the word because it's the most sort of widely accepted definition. Um, and, oh, Wolfgang, can we start again? Sorry, I think like... A we did, we've defined... Um consensual sex work and sort of the, the multiplicity of consensual sex work, sex work, how would you define uh, human trafficking specifically for the, for the purpose of, of sexual exploitation? Again, the United Nations has a specific definition or particular definition that, that we've used to inform how we think about trafficking. So I'll just, I'll, you know, I'll share that with you. Mm -hmm. and it's it's um, defined as the recruitment, transportation, harboring, uh, or exercising control, direction, or influence over the movements of a person in order to exploit that person, uh, typically through sexual exploitation or forced, or forced labor. I think, um, you know, for, for many of us, and it, it, we have this idea that trafficking involves sort of moving across borders or moving across provinces, but sort of really that there's this physical movement of a person or a group of people, and then they're being forced into labor that they don't consent to, and that they're, you know, and in reality that it doesn't happen that way. So all the time you have human trafficking that is, um, you know, within cities, within provinces, within within a country, and then of course there are um, transprovincial and transnational types of trafficking as well. 
one of the things that that I, I just want to, I, I, I have so many so many questions and follow up questions, and 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 um, one of the things I'm I'm curious about is um, how prevalent is is trafficking, and you know, there's certainly a perception or a conversation about it that would indicate it is um, it is rampant, um, and I'm and I'm just not. I'm not sure that 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 the research bears that out, but but I might be incorrect. So, yeah, what to what extent is is um, human trafficking human trafficking, particularly in in Ontario or um, with young people, how prevalent is it? Yeah, it's, you know, it's it, it's a really interesting point. One of um, one of the issues I think with these these trafficking statistics is that think you know consensual sex work for as an example may be recorded um or reported as trafficking mm. um, and then others argue you know that it is rampant and we're not seeing these high numbers because you know and because of underreporting or you know the clandestinity but 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 the reality is is that i think that you know for me, there are real people experiencing real impacts and real harm. Um, and so I think we have a responsibility to kind of unpack and explore how, how best taking the lead of those people to, you know, to, to respond to trafficking. So there are some stats. I, I, I can't really comment on the, you know, on the accuracy of them. Um, and if it is sort of more, more uh, prevalent or less prevalent than uh, than what than what we're being than what's being shared. So, um, do, would you like to know a little bit about uh, Ontario? Is that um, what you're yeah, maybe maybe Ontario, and then and then Canada, if you if you have it, because we have listeners from all across the country and then indeed around the world. But let's stick right. to Canada. Okay, sorry, I didn't mean to be Ontario centric. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> okay, so um, so I guess the 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 latest uh, the latest stats say that um, police specifically reported three hundred and fifteen incidents of trafficking in Canada in two thousand uh, in two thousand and eighteen, uh, and that represents the first decline of reporting. Uh, since two since two thousand and ten, mm. um, despite you know despite that decline, the overall number of police reported incidents of human trafficking has been increasing over the past uh, over the past decade. Right. Um, since two thousand and nine, uh, and I'm speaking again specifically to police police here because that's where we can get uh, most of our data. Um, police services have reported over seventeen hundred incidents of human trafficking in Canada. I would be interested to to know how many people have been arrested since two thousand and nine for various forms of sex work. Um, I, compare those. Yes, I think I have. Um, oh, do you? Okay, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that somewhere. Um, Not to worry. Um, if you find it, that'd, that'd be great. Um, I, I, yeah, because I, I, it's a really. <laughs> It's a really important consideration. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Would you say it's higher or lower than the, the seventeen hundred? Um, 
now again i am speaking from memory yeah um, and i'm not speaking specifically to charges but uh, arrests mm -hmm. uh, i would venture <laughs> to guess that the that the number is much higher than 1700. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. so i i, I want to ask you a, a, about who you interviewed um as part of this this research who 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 partook in the in the research as far i mean i know you did a lot of of literature um uh review as well as far as the the conversations you had with people who were those conversations with yep that's um um so there were a couple of a couple of different reasons that that this particular project took the approach that it did so one of the most important things uh, to me is the project lead was to ensure that we really looked at including um, the voice of people who had actually experienced this um, or who had been told that they experienced this but you know in fact thought that they were engaging in consensual that they believed to be engaging in consensual sex work um, but at the same time Wolfgang you know one of the major concerns that I had was that there are only so many young people who have experienced this and that are that you know can make themselves available to to talk about that and I again I felt a responsibility to to protect them because there was another project that was happening at the same time which was specifically engaging um, engaging people who had been, and again, I'm going to use the the, the official term here, who had been trafficked. Um, so, so what we decided to do was use secondary data to to include the voice of uh, people who had this lived experience, um, and then we also included um, practitioners. So we were interested in talking to people who who worked with folks who had who had experienced um, a commercial sexual exploitation or who had participated in consensual sex work or had experienced uh, again you know uh, human trafficking and so so we went across all of ontario and interviewed 76 practitioners um, and just asked some questions trying to get at the heart of what young people had communicated to them um, in their in their experience of working with them and of course the other the other group of people that we wanted to include in the work was um, people who had the lived experience just as a part of their identity but were excuse me my throat's right but we're now um, also doing supportive uh, supportive work so that might have been working in the role of a cyc or a peer support worker um, but people who are now in a position to support people with similar lived experiences mm. uh, and we also assessed sorry i should say that at the beginning of all of this we assessed um the how child and youth care practitioners felt about their readiness to respond if someone was to present with um you know having experienced commercial sexual exploitation uh, and there were about this is going back a couple of years ago but i think there were about 450 child and youth care practitioners who who participated you know willingly and said like overwhelmingly 
I don't feel ready to respond to this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at the risk of breaking confidentiality, I remember that. And I certainly was one of those people yes. who said that. So um, I, I, there's, there's something you keep, you keep talking about, and, and it's something that, that I've had conversations about before on, on, this, on this podcast. And that's this idea of consensual sex. And when we work with people who are in, in Ontario who are under the age of 18, um, the, the current law says that people under the age of 18 cannot consent to doing sex work. There's, there's no such thing as consensual sex work um, under the age of, of 18. And so I'm, I'm curious... Um, Presumably, some of the people that that you worked with, if not all the people you worked with back in the the old YO days, young offender days, um, they were all under the age of eighteen. And so, uh, what I, I'm curious how you how you frame the conversation around consent, consensual sex sex work, and age of consent. Um. So our. Can you clarify, sorry, Wolfgang, if, are you specifically asking how, I, how, how that has been framed in this specific project? Or are you talking about uh, when, at, at that time when I was working with young people? What I would say is let's start with how is it framed in this, this particular project? And, and I'm, I'm particularly interested in, in how you have, because I think you do some really wonderful and provocative um, work in this, in this study. And I'm particularly interested in, in how you are challenging um, understandings of what, what consensual sex work means or, or doesn't mean. So um, um, let's start with how you're framing it in, in this study and, and how it's framed, indeed, how it's framed in the larger uh, discourse or, uh, around sex, sex work in, in, in our culture. So, I mean, from the, from the get-go, this study adopted a very, um, you know, young person-centered, pro-sex uh, pro work lens, because what we learned when we did our preliminary research is that lens, in addition to some other, you know, some other considerations and some other frameworks, but that lens in particular causes the least harm to young people. Um, and I think that is, that is the goal, right? We, we, don't, uh, we don't want to contribute or, or perpetuate harm. And we also had this really, you know, kind of radical idea that young people are in fact in control of their own bodies and that, and not, you know, an, an, an age could not determine um, when, when you could be in control of your body and when you could, um, make decisions about what you did, what you did with your body. So I will tell you right off the bat that that thinking has probably met some of the most opposition mm. uh, on, in, in this project, mm. which I can understand because we, it, you know, we have been socialized to, to think uh, as young people, uh, as people who are incapable of decision making, um, you know, too, too, too um, 
too prone to risk taking, um, you know, and any other number of things that we've we've been taught in schools, we we see in the media about young people. So so this idea, you know, this idea that well, in fact, what if we what if we just considered that young people actually have a right to that determination? So it, it, it was a really contentious point because, like you said, in the law, it is very clear that as soon as a young person presents um, to you, presents, uh, you know, to you with a, a case of, uh, you know, potentially being involved in sexual exploitation for, for, for commercial purposes or engaging in consensual sex work, um, you, you have no choice but to address it in a particular way. Uh, and, and that way is to exert further control and further power over young people and remove uh, and kind of remove their agency or their ability to make decisions about their about their lives. So I think I'm I feel like I'm rambling now, but it's it's like a it's sort of a, a particularly you know interesting point for me. But I don't think I'm getting to the heart of your question. So you I, no, I think you I think you are. I mean I I think that that part of part of Part of the challenge, I think, with this question is it is, is so contentious and it is so loaded. And, and I've certainly received some, um, some pushback when, when I've interviewed um, sex workers on this, on this program before and, and talked about youth agency and, and people under the age of, of, of 18 doing sex work and, and the, the rights of people to, to make that choice. And, and and I think, you know, as, as you and I and and you know the, everyone who listens to this podcast care deeply about young people and and absolutely don't want to see harm to young people. And I and I think it's it's hard for for many of us to sort of wrap our heads around that. Right? Um, yeah, and I, I I think so. And you know, part of part of what I part of what I experienced while I was doing, while I was doing these interviews, and I have a lot of compassion for workers and I have a lot of empathy, but part of what I experienced was this thinking, um, you know, even now that the best way to support young people, even though, you know, even though we purport to do with and not for, and, you know, we work along, alongside people, the most, you know, one of the most common approaches to supporting young people or the way, the way that, you know, sorry, what I'm trying to say is the way that practitioners thought that the best way to support young people would be, would be is in fact to remove their power and control so that they are not able to make bad decisions. So there, you know, therein lies the, uh, another problem, right? Like you're, you're, you're inserting your assumptions about, or your biases about sex work, first of all, uh, that it is a bad decision. Um, and then again, you're you're leaving people, young people, without without the ability to make decisions or take take their lives in a, in a particular direction based on how you feel about uh, you know a, a particular form of labor. So what what could we do? So as child youth care practitioners or other people who work with young people. Um, so with the vast majority of, of people that, that responded to the survey said they were feeling prepared and, um, 
and given the, the the critique you just made about how how some people do respond, what what might be a, um, an actual youth focused, supportive, helpful response when when we suspect someone's being trafficked or um, when we know somebody is being trafficked or indeed when somebody discloses to us that they're doing consensual sex work even though it's against the law and i know those are three very different things suspect trafficking no trafficking and doing consensual sex work but maybe we could start with the the first how do we respond if we suspect somebody is is being trafficked well um you know <laughs> I think it depends on the context in which uh, your your relationship with that young person sort of sort of exists. Mm -hmm. um, but I would, you know, I would suggest, and in, in sort of young people have suggested in 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 uh, the interviews that were conducted by another agency, um, and practitioners who have also experienced success, success with young people, um, is that we do the exact opposite of exerting any power or control or decision making and that it's really important to just sort of build trusting relationships where we can with these young people and take their lead and if their lead wolfgang which might be really hard for some people to hear but if their lead is hey uh don't make that call don't report this then then we kind of have to just respect that why and this they're, Sorry to put you on the spot like that, Melissa. Why? Um, yeah, why? Why? Why do we have to respect that? You know, if if we suspect that someone's being trafficked, if we suspect someone's being harmed, um, why is it not best to in, enforce this this position of um, uh, yeah of of control? So, so, I mean, like, how long? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to reteach the entire four-year Bachelor of Child and Youth Care degree to us today. I mean, there are a number of reasons. And I think like with this entire, you know, 25, 25 minutes, one of the things that I'm going to struggle, I'm struggling with the most here is to, to really think of how to like um, condense or think about the most pertinent information to share in, in our time together. Um, but we're not even like scratching, we're not even scratching, scratching the surface. So it's, it's important uh, not to exert uh, control because again, it, <sighs> the results show, let's just if we talk about this if we talk about this in numbers so if we um if we as child and youth care practitioners you know see someone that's in harm um and then we uh we choose to make make a call and there's some sort of investigation um but that person in fact which is which is often the case that person uh chooses not not to report it um because they weren't ready and they clearly told you that they weren't ready um and nothing is done well you know you have just essentially successfully ended any kind of future potential to support that young person when they were more ready to to do something about their situation um and often what happens and again young people reported this as well is is that 
when that decision is taken away from them, they they often actually end up sort of going more more underground and more harder to find. Like, I I mean, I think just fundamentally, we are trying to to build these relationships again that allow young people to take control of their of their circumstances. Um, and if a person isn't ready, you know, it's it's much like. I would kind of align this with with work that we do with people who are experiencing um, abuse in a relationship. It, it's not the job of a practitioner to say, okay, you know, hey, you have to leave, mm -hmm. right? Like you, you, agency and decision-making has to come from, so decision-making rather um, has to come from the person themselves. It, it, it is meaningless if it comes from us. Um, and then when we, I, and the other part of that is like when we, when we take away their power, essentially uh, what we're doing is perpetuating the exact same cycle that they're experiencing um, if they are involved in commercial sexual exploitation or if they are involved in trafficking. Yeah, yeah. Well, so well, when I say involved, I mean experienced. To be clear, I'm not saying that people like are you know consensually trafficked. I just want no, to no, 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 absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, and therein lies the the difference, right? Because yeah. it's it's the consent, the non the non consent. Um, and and I and I recognize that that we are only just touching the, the surface. And I and I want to um, just as we move towards closing. Um, I want to let people know that that you have developed um, online training um, that people um, can do to help people be feel more prepared, if not actually be more prepared. Because <laughs> there's one sense, you know, I, I sometimes I wonder we might not think we're prepared, and actually we might be far more prepared because nothing you said just now goes against the fundamentals of of what I know as a child and youth care practitioner. And so I think some of it is, is familiarizing ourselves with, with language and processes and, and supportive um, information. So could you just talk a little bit about, about the training that's, that's available, the online training that's available and, and how people can, um, can access it? Sure, absolutely. And um, I think I just want to touch on a point that you um, that you just said there Please. was something about, you know, this this really is in line with I think the, the the philosophical underpinnings of child and youth of child and youth care. The challenge is that you know we we are taught in our institutions and, and hopefully we, we learn more about this when we're out working with, uh, with people, um, that, that relationships in that uh, youth direction and all of those things are, are imperative to good practice. The, ch the, challenge, the challenge is that our organizations aren't there yet, mm. right? So there's a, this, this uh, disconnect, there's, there's not really an alignment but between what we what the evidence or what the data says is really good practice and really supportive practice and that what our institutions and organizations um, are doing and so I think that's I, I, I mean this is work that's I guess been going on forever but I think that that is really where 
th th that is really where we also have to start focusing on shifting um, organizational policy, organizational practice uh, in a way that aligns with what young people have told us that they need or you know what the data tells us works. Um, and that's not just specific to 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 this training. I, I'm sort of just talking generally about it, but to, um, yeah, I mean, I think I think that you're 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 100 correct. This is not this is not different than what we um, than what what we learn or what we teach in in child and youth care That's in Canada anyway. Um, okay, so the supporting youth experiencing exploitation training program. It's and we'll, we'll put a link to it on the on the on the CYC podcast website. So okay, great. And I mean, it's the the website is uh, supportyouth.ca, and um, and so it's a self uh, self directed training. There are various uh, various modules. You can kind of you go through it at your own pace. There there are interactive activities. Um, and it's a certificate-based training. It's free for anyone who wants to take it. You can choose to, to do a certificate kind of option. Um, but if for any reason, you know, you're just not interested in getting a certificate, or if you're not interested in sharing an email because you, you would have to register to get that, um, it's just, it's available for people to just kind of go through the modules without, uh, without any kind of registration. So um, again, based on what we learned during this project, um, we have developed this training that is that takes a very specific approach, and that approach is that it is youth directed. Uh, it is intersectional. It is sex and sex work uh, positive, and it, it it really looks at helping us as practitioners separate commercial sexual exploitation and trafficking and, um, and, and sex work and understanding that our response to these very, very different, uh, very, very different things should, should, be, should be different. Um, and, and, um, and again, like I think I mentioned that at the beginning, it has been one of, it has, it has shown up in the literature so much, this conflation um, and we really kind of wanted to unpack that for people. Um, it, this is again, sorry, so it takes a harm reduction approach. It's relational um, and it's really focused on trust building. And based on, based on what we've learned, this is what works for young, for young people. And uh, yeah, so on average, <laughs> we've been hearing that it takes between um, 14 to 25 hours to complete, but it's not, you know, it's not like you have a time frame to do it. Um, and, and the feedback that we're getting is that it's taking that long because this is information that folks uh, generally haven't had access to in the, with their education. Mm. Um, and it's, it's also an approach that asks you to, you know, that asks you to consider that sex work is legitimate labor um, that young people have agency uh, and that even if experiencing exploitation or trafficking um, that young people should still have a, the the right to decide how uh, you know how best to be supported in those situations so it's for anyone 
Um, and it's, it's really a reflective course, uh, open to feedback. And I, I hope that, uh, you know, I hope that people have a chance to, to have a look or also to have a look at the report, which articulates um, in much more depth and with, with much more conciseness and grace than I have here today. Um, um, we completely you know. graceful. <laughs> some of some of our some of our findings. Excellent. Um, and uh, is the is the report now available online as well? Um, it will be by November the thirtieth. There were okay. some yeah. There were just some some language edits that that still needed to be. Awesome. So by the time that we actually go to air, it will be available. And is it also at supportyouth.ca? It, yes, it can be found there. Beautiful. Melissa Tellis, thank you so, so much for, um, for the conversation today, uh, for your amazing work. It, it's really, it's a, it's a great, great, important, necessary, um, and hopefully transformative uh, piece of research and, and, and how, you've, how you've linked it directly into, into practice and um, into how we as, as CYCs can, can learn from that. Um, you know, what research can be and, and uh, so often isn't. So um, thank you so much for doing it and for taking the time today. Thank you so much, Wolfgang. Take care. You too, bye-bye.